For the Chicago Sun-Times, Roger Ebert calls this film a light-hearted and goofy musical comedy about a love affair between an extraterrestrial and a manicurist. Hal Hinson of the Washington Post calls it the movie equivalent of cheap champagne. Even though it's lousy, it still gives you tickles up the nose. And Letterboxd user Vivian asks, When will Jeff Goldblum raw me until I can't walk? On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Earth Girls Are Easy. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Or greetings, starfighters. You you couldn't have just memorized that yet to play it off of a phone? Yes. <laughs> I'm going for authenticity, and I did not okay. want to stumble or fumble that because uh, it... Uh, pride. Just pride, okay? Okay. Okay. I, well, you know what? Yes. I, and you know what, John? No one would have known. No one would have known. You no blew my spot. Known. No yeah. one would have known. That sounded so authentic, and you blew my spot. I'm Thank sorry, you. Dan. Hey, no, everybody. I'm done. No, that's it. Welcome I'm, to Room Childhoods. Good. I'm your only host now because Dan has just quit the show. And uh, I want to thank you for for listening to this podcast that I am now doing all by myself, all about cult and classic movies and what we would do if we were to bring them back nowadays. Oh, Dan, do you want to I... just stay around for a little bit? You know, I put the time aside anyway. I'm just going to sit here and <laughs> I'm going to hear, I'm going to want to respond and take part. So why would I deprive myself of that? Awesome. Shall we let bygones be bygones? I, hey, water's under the bridge. It's all good. I didn't want, I wanted it to be a little bit of a surprise. So I didn't tell you <laughs> ahead of time. That was what was happening. So, yeah. But, uh, it, we're talking about Earth Girls Are Easy today, a, a, a movie that uses some reverse dialogue. And I watched Tenet last night. Oh, you finally watched Tenet. So that was actually, that was not recorded. That was the inverted greeting right. Starfighters. Yes. So, <laughs> well, yes. No, I finally, like. The it's stars, on HBO Max. It's on HBO Max. The stars aligned so that, um, so that. My wife, Alicia, and I both had, you know, we both had really long and uh, challenging weeks. And we, um, so we kind of were just both too spent uh, to do anything more than sit on the couch and watch uh, and watch a movie. And I was like, this is the moment like this. We need to seize this work because like this is a movie, first of all, that we would both want to watch because otherwise it would be like right. me wanting to watch, you know, something like Earth Girls Are Easy yeah. and her wanting to watch like a state of play or she wouldn't be uh, in Earth Girls Are Easy. I don't think she I because it's not that she wouldn't get it, but being um, so she grew up in Belgium for those who are unfamiliar right. and was also a little young. So like the humor of this, like this Southern California Valley girl satire. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know how much of that uh, would, would click with her. And I think, I mean, it's like visually it's a treat, but uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if I Belgium mean, has an equivalent to the Valley or had one in the eighties. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not expecting you to have I, an answer. I'm just I'm just posing the question here. Like because where this did, movie, this movie yeah. exists uh, because of the thought the 1980s Valley people are so dense that they could be surrounded by aliens and nobody would notice. So it's like, and what would be the Belgian <laughs> equivalent to that? Well, and specific, it's like, it's also so specific because it's not just like any Valley. They're talking about the San Fernando Valley. Right. They're not talking about like Sun Valley, Utah or where I live, the Willamette Valley. Right. It's the yeah. Valley. Everyone so, knows, everyone in America knows what Valley girl means or the Valley. It, 
if you were if you were cognizant of the 80s and right i mean it's a very specifically 80s maybe even early 90s kind of thing yeah oh no i i mean i would say mid to late 80s like i think earth girls are easy was like right right there or at least when it was filmed because it was filmed uh it it, it kind of sat on, kind of got shuffled a little bit mm-hmm. uh on its way to release and it uh so, so what, 85 86 well, Maybe. I think it was shot. I think it was shot in '87. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll. I'm gonna double check myself. It came here. out in '88. Yeah, and and for anybody, uh, we're just we're just getting right into it. Um, for anybody who isn't familiar with this movie, it's it's one of a special series of films starring both Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum while they were uh, in a relationship together, which you know they were started translating. Well, I mean, but. Yeah. Transylvania 65000 and then The Fly uh and then which I don't know if they were married at that point. They're married at this point in Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah. Yeah, I think they got married between the two. Yeah, I think and- it was like things started during Transylvania 65000. They really picked up during The Fly and then I think Earth Girls Are Easy was the uh Well, I if <laughs> If I'm remembering correctly, and this is my own memory of my friendship with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, um, is that they were, I'm kidding, by the way, uh, is that Jeff Goldblum was hired onto the fly and then suggested his girlfriend, Gina Davis, who, as we know, has been in movies, obviously, Transforming a 65,000, Tootsie being her first, and, you know, she was kicking around for a bit, and then... Uh, he suggested her for the uh, the fly. Veronica, I believe, was her name in that, which I watched recently, and it was confusing because her name is Valerie in this. So, oh yeah, it's uh, it's a lot to juggle up there. A lot of lot of names, yeah. I don't know. And then, but she so then Gina Davis had a huge couple of years. So this so Earth Girls Are Easy went into production uh, in late 1987 and. It wasn't released until May 1989. How do I and and how do I remember? It wasn't this released so till 89. No, it was May 89, and I I know this because I remember going to see it. I wonder. I wonder the, if it had like a limited. Rialto. I wonder if it had a limited release earlier than that. No, there were there were legal issues. As per uh, Wikipedia, the the most credible source on the internet. Um, yeah. But no, I, I I I don't think there'd be any reason to to lie about this. Wikipedia I mean, sure is, you know, relatively reliable. You know, it, it, if it, I see that something has been cited, I'm I'm willing to call that you know as much fact yeah. as one could possibly call something. I I, I recently Wikipedia. did it. I, I actually, I'm going to fess up. I recently did a demonstration for my students to show them that it wasn't just like a, a tall tale that teachers tell that like Wikipedia can be really easily altered. So uh, mm. I did a under five minute demonstration and I yeah. did that. So did you edit a page or something? Um, I, I, well, I edited my school's page and um, so th- there's a little section now about the rooftop uh, heated pool. Oh, interesting. So much like our high school growing up, there is also a a legend of a pool on the top floor of your school. Yes. It's fascinating because, and I wonder, like, you know, send us an email, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Uh, did your high school have a a mythical pool that was like only the seniors could use or i want to take it even a step further but in addition to that any other like myths about your schools growing up like much like there is a pool on the whatever floor the fifth floor Mm -hmm. whatever it is uh yeah i'm curious to know because i feel like hometown lore is something that like it's it's necessary in order for a small community to survive and to thrive is like having having some mystery <laughs> and, and it's like so having fascinating. like little tales that people tell from generation to generation <laughs> and it's but it's fascinating to see which ones are consistent because like for anyone who, who not in the know uh I teach at a school in Seattle and 
John and I went to high school in New Jersey. So yeah. we are talking geographically, geographically. Forget it. Very far. So what is it with the rumored? What other rumors were there? Like, was it a bowling alley at your school? Like, what? A bowling what was alley? It? Ooh, that'd be fun. I don't know. And I don't like, maybe we should, and we're just spitballing here, but maybe we should like think about, I, I'm trying to think if there's like movies about this. I know there's like the movie Urban Legends. Yeah. But that's a little different. Uh, let's think about this. Maybe we've, month, got a, but yeah. we've got a we've got a theme month cooking right now. You're hearing it happen live. So why so, don't I get into a synopsis of Earth Girls Are Easy? You have something? Bef- well, before just to clarify, so you mentioned it having an early release. It debuted at the Toronto Festival of Festivals in September 1988. And it was supposed to be released in February 89. It was released in May 89. And I remember um, the song, Cause I'm a Blonde, was yeah. was a big hit. And uh, I, yeah, I remember b- being really interested and excited to see this movie. So synopsis. Yeah. And, and this movie was uh, not just co starring, but was also written and I believe produced by Julie Brown of MTV. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'd say, like, I'd say comedic music fame. Yeah, yeah. And not not to be confused with MTV's downtown Julie Brown. No, and I really feel bad for her that that is something that always needs to be said as a qualifier next to her name. But it happens. Which Julie Brown do you feel bad for? Both of them? Um, I feel bad for Earth Girls Are Easy, Julie Brown, because downtown is the one that people think of the most. Yeah. Because I don't think that people are saying, like, downtown Julie Brown, not Earth Girls Are Easy, Julie Brown. But they worked together at MTV, and, uh, you know, paired with Julie Brown on this was uh, Julian Temple, the director who has a background with uh, the punk music scene and done a lot of music videos with David Bowie. Uh Neil Young, I mean, you you think of any like big uh, musician around like the seventies and eighties, he's probably done some sort of music video for them. He did like a documentary, like a Sex Pistols documentary, very early on. You know, he was just kind of in that like yeah. music film world, and that's what kind of made him a very, I don't know, I think pretty good choice for this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, fantastic. And and also just to, to add to that, uh, Julie Brown's co-writer on this movie was her at the time husband, Terrence E. McNally, not to be confused with uh, Tony Award winning playwright Terrence McNally, who who wrote the screenplay for or he wrote uh, Love, Valor, Compassion. Yeah, he's also written. Yeah. People might know him as downtown Terrence McNally. <laughs> I mean, in some circles, yes, probably <laughs> more of a midtown um, Terrence McNally, probably. Mm, no, no, downtown. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know his work. <laughs> oh, um, no. Anyway, oh, there, there were some films. Oh, he wrote the. Uh, oh, you would know his work. He wrote the book for the musical, The Full Monty. Oh, okay. But this is not uh, the this is not the Terrence McNally that Julie Brown was married to. No, <laughs> right. No. We're talking about a completely different person. Which at first, when I was watching the credits, and I was like, "Oh, wow, that's great!" I'm uh-huh. like, "Yes, that it, it would I'm make like, a lot it, of sense." It did make a lot of sense because Terrence McNally is very witty, humorous playwright, and I thought I was like, "Oh, yeah, no, that would make sense." But no, not the same different, guy. Interesting, different guy, different guy, different guy. Okay. This is Out of Town Terrence McNally. Out of Town. (laughs) All right. Are we ready to synopsize? Yes, more than. Okay. And I will say this. If you haven't seen this movie, you got to watch it. It is such a delight. And like, I think that it would appeal to most generations. It would definitely appeal to like Gen Zers, clearly millennials and Gen Xers that can watch this and appreciate the the satire and the ridiculousness of it. And it's fun. So I think, yeah. Valerie's life is simple. 
She lives in the valley, she's a popular nail artist at a SoCal beauty parlor, and she's engaged to a doctor named Ted. But when Valerie discovers that Ted's been cheating on her, she kicks him out and feels lost and devastated. But what she doesn't know is that a trio of horny aliens accidentally got too horny and crashed their ship directly into Valerie's pool. Stunned at first, and convinced that she's having a delusional episode, Valerie finds herself inside the alien aircraft with the three primary-colored fuzzy humanoid ETs. Though they don't speak the same language, they're able to figure out how to effectively communicate. Valerie brings them inside her house and feeds them some Pop-Tarts while she calls Woody, her pool guy, to drain her pool so the ship can take off. The aliens find everything fascinating, including the television, which they mimic perfectly. Woody arrives and tells Valerie that the drain will take a day or so. Not knowing what else to do, Valerie brings the aliens, Mac, Zebo, and Whiplock, to her friend Candy at the beauty parlor. Candy is all about giving makeovers, so she shaves the aliens, gives them dye jobs, and assigns them fresh sets of threads. As they emerge, Valerie is beyond impressed, especially with Mac. After a night of Zebos dancing, Whiplock making out with Candy, and Mac learning about the concept of Mr. Right from Valerie, it was time to go home. Unfortunately, Ted decided to come to the house to try to win Valerie back, but before she and the aliens get home, Ted thinks that there was a robbery, so he calls the police. When Valerie gets home, she tells them she tells him that her three friends are because she won an MTV Win a Band contest and they have to stay with her. As he tries to beg for her forgiveness, Mac, Zebo, and Whiplock run amok and piss off Ted. When the cops get there, they end up taking Ted for harassing Valerie. She begins to get upset and retreats to her bedroom. Mac follows her in and offers to make her feel better. She refuses, but changes her tune fairly quickly and they have a night of passion. After a funky nightmare, Vivian wakes up next to Mac and is in a great mood. She, Valerie wakes up next to Mac, is in a great mood. Man, these V names. <laughs> did Gina Valerie Davis wakes ever up play ne- a Vivian? <laughs> What's that? Like, did Gina Davis ever play a Vivian? <laughs> I don't know, but Vivian is the name of the letterbox user I mentioned in the intro. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Rawed yes. by Jeff Goldblum, perfect, which is what perfect. happens... Well, I know, that's exactly, I'm sure that's exactly what happened. So Valerie (laughs) wakes up next to Mac, is in a great mood, is in a great mood. She entices Mac and the boys with some homemade pancakes while Woody finishes draining the pool. He, Zebo, and Whiplock get to talking, and Woody decides to help them find babes at the beach, where there's a blonde contest going on. On their way, Whiplock and Zebo accidentally hold up a gas station and steal Woody's car, leading the cops in a high-speed chase which ends in a crash. Mac and Valerie catch up and realize that if Whiplock and Zebo get arrested and or brought to the hospital, they will be found out and dissected. She gets herself and Mac arrested, but Mac uses his love touch to get the two arresting officers to fall in love with one another. They take Mac and Valerie to the hospital, where Ted has already begun examining Zebo and Whiplock, discovering that they each have two heartbeats. Valerie and Mac disguise themselves as doctors and interrupt Ted, but he figures them out. Luckily, they are able to escape home, where the aliens rush to take off in their ship before Ted can get to them. Mac zaps Ted and Valerie with a love zap, and they start to make out, but Valerie's love for Mac is too strong, and she demands to be taken back to their home planet with them. So, Gina Davis plays Valerie, not Vivian, and uh, Jeff Goldblum plays Mac, uh, Damon Wayans plays Zebo and Jim Carrey plays Whiplock. Candy is played by Julie Brown. Um, we have, oh, Ted is played by the absolutely incredible Charles Rocket. Poor one um, out. Yes, absolutely. And Woody Rocket. is played by Michael McKeon, who is just absolutely amazing. And I want to just play a clip from when we first meet Woody. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Woody. Is that you're sitting on? Some kind of a giant boogie board? No, it's my new pool patio. Bitchin', huh? It's pretty rad. Oh, shoot the curl, kitty. Those little <laughs> guys love the water, don't they? Listen, Valerie, how come you want your pool drain? How come? I don't know. You know, the water just seems really stale or something. You see a lot of that. So, uh, how long is this going to take? Oh, about a day. 
Whoa, check out the sets, man. About six inches tall, I'd be out there right now. They were pumping like that this morning. No, for real. And I was getting barreled in this totally cool tube. I had just sex waxed my board, really preem. Some hot dog shoots his board, hits me right in the head. Look at that. This is the worst. Yeah, it would have been the ride of the decade, too. Well, what am I supposed to do until tomorrow? Waste your brain, wax your board, pray for waves. I just love that scene. I feel like Michael McKeon nails every aspect about it. He looks great. He sounds perfect. And I don't know if he incorporated any um, anything to his lines, but everything he says is so great. When he's talking about the six inch uh, like waves, he's talking about like the the movement of the pool water and. And that's when she's like, the water just like feels a, stale. Yeah. And he's like, I've been seeing a lot of that lately. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> well, that, and it's, uh, I mean, that's what makes it work because if there, if you had, like, like, you need to find that character that, that is just the right level of oblivious. Just burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's also like, it's another common stereotype of, of that, like, you know, of the mid to late 80s California surfer dude. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, we see so much of that. In, I mean, Back to the Beach is another. Yeah. I mean, we see so much of that. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned Back to the Beach because I was thinking a lot about Back to the Beach and how it's similar to this movie because they they don't exist in our universe where like laws of logic apply, you know, like right. people do and say things that people just kind of accept as being normal or don't even think twice about. And there are characters like the neighbor with the crazy beehive and stuff. It's like, oh, she yeah. doesn't exist in our reality. It's just very different. And then there's like, you know, out of nowhere, musical numbers, like, Birds the Word with Pee Wee Herman. Right. Uh, I mean, and and Jamaica Ska and stuff like that. But I'm thinking Jamaica, of Birds California the Word. California Sun, yeah. Yeah, California uh, Sun. We um, could go on. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but I'm pretty sure, doesn't Pee Wee Herman take off on a surfboard? Yes. So it reminds yes. me a lot of that. Or it reminds me a lot of like Greece, where there's musical numbers and then a car just and takes off. And just it's like flies they, off at the end. Yeah. Just flies off. So it's like these movies, especially these comedic musicals, they they tend to defy logic. Yeah. I thought a lot of also like Little Shop of Horrors and stuff uh-huh. like that, where it's like, you know, silly musicals that, you know, were really popular uh, at that time in Greece a little bit earlier, too. And they and they allow and it being a musical and taking it out of reality allows you to do things like play on stereotypes, which this movie does. Uh, I always oh, so, yeah. um, in in my teaching job when I teach my unit on satire, uh, I usually like when we're talking about stereotypes, I usually start with cause I'm a blonde and play really that video. Well, yes, because you know, getting into the topic of stereotypes, it can be, you know, awkward and it's, you know, you're, it's a sensitive line. So to say that, okay, well, we're going to watch something that makes fun of like white blonde women. Yeah. Uh, It's, and it's also so over the top that, and it's also so outdated that it doesn't offend anybody. And I can teach about stereotypes. Yeah. In a, in an effective way. Cause yeah. There's also part of it that makes me feel like it's not making fun of blondes as much as it's also making fun of the stereotype of blondes. Right. Uh, you know, which luckily isn't a joke that is made so much anymore. You used to hear that a lot in the 80s and 90s, you know, the the dumb blonde stereotype that mm-hmm. who knows who made that up. And it's a, you know, because I'm a blonde was a song that Julie Brown wrote, and I believe she had released it prior to this movie coming out. But like, I... I believe there were they just needed to like fill time in the movie, so they kind of yeah. wrote it in. And uh, I'm just gonna play because the way that they lead into it 
is kind of bananas. But before before you do, I mean, I just want to point like as uh, talking about this song, I mean, the other songs in the movie as well, but especially this one. It, it that's a good point that it it is taking on that stereotype and every line in it is just it's so funny yeah i, I i'm a big fan of of that song on many levels so yeah and i don't know if i'm going to play the entire thing um but you'll get the point i encourage you to see it out. i just remembered something what was it oh yeah the beach today they're having a blonde of the month contest blonde yeah you know Lion Beach Bunnies, California's finest. Speaking of breaking the bounds of reality, you have Julie Brown, who is playing a a character in this movie now as this other character, we assume. I assume it's not Candy. It's no, it's just blonde at beach. Yeah. 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 Oh, what a ridiculous song. (laughs) And it's very, there's this very... um, I don't want to say like quasi 1950s feeling to it all. I mean, like the design of the spaceship is, I don't know. It's. Yeah. I mean, it's like old school sci-fi. Right. Well, they're not doing, because like the whole intro is them in space and it shows not, it's like, they're not trying to make it look realistic at all. And that's good. And on purpose, it's not because it's being cheap. It's because it wants to give you this like Pee-wee's Playhouse idea of like, you know, what the the tone of this movie is. Kind of like meets uh, uh, tonally like Mars Attacks almost. Sure. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, (laughs) there's not a lot of similarity. Yeah. But I feel like in type of like that's the type of tone that they're going for is this kind of cheesy retro like just shut your brain off don't think too hard about it and enjoy it right and also you know as you alluded to in the beginning of the show their language is just English but the words are all backwards so I don't think that they're trying to like fool anybody with like a new language. It's kind of just like a, hey, well, <laughs> these these guys are just like s- strange and, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, you shave them down and it's the guy from Once Bitten and the guy from I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Or the guys from In Living Color. Yeah, you know. Well, In Living Color this. was yet to, yet to happen. Yeah. yeah. Right. It was so, very soon after. I uh, speaking of that, I want to play the bit where they have where Julie Brown Candy has just finished doing the uh, the makeovers. Oh, that's great. Okay, Val, are you ready? I think they're almost done. Okay, with the big red one, I went for the blonde surfer look. Jim Carrey. Wow. Which one is that? Good luck. 
We are human now. I don't believe it. He's even cute. I know. Fiction, huh? Val, you won't believe this. Okay. Surprise! Is that Zebo? Oh my god, you're like totally black! That's Zebo mimicking <laughs> candy. <laughs> okay, and behind door number three, this is the ultimate. Jeff Goldblum coming out of the steam. The ultimate. Good. Real good. I love it. Jeff Goldblum. The ultimate. Jeff Goldblum is so, it's so funny because he, you know, he's not like traditionally handsome. He has like very big features in his face, uh, but he really sells it. He's in great shape, obviously. That's oh, yeah. he's always been in awesome shape. Just ask, just ask Vivian. Just ask Vivian. That's right. Um, so it's really fun the way they do this. And I also like that the only mention of Zebo being black is that joke, which totally works. It's, yeah. you know, it's funny. It, I don't know. It really yes. it's great. Uh, yeah. No, it's just it's just a passing. It's like. I mean, (laughs) as much as so much of this movie is not believable within the world of this, that is totally believable. Yeah. And that he's, you know, yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans, because as we were saying, it's like they haven't even done In Living Color yet. They've barely been in anything. Jim Carrey has had like a couple of things. I think some like TV Canadian things. uh, He had done once by this point. Well, once bitten, Peggy Sue got married. Peggy Sue got married, right? But he was, you know, even more of a bit character in that. Yeah. He wasn't, yeah. He, he wasn't like the Jim Carrey. This was right. I mean, In Living Color boosted him to Ace Ventura. Ace and Ventura. then like well, 1994, we, I mean, we could it. do a the whole month Jim about. Carrey. Yeah. Seriously. Mm-hmm. So. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, that was all. Yeah, Crazy. five years after after this. So. I know, yeah. And Damon Wayans, obviously of the Wayans acting and comedy dynasty. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had been tiny little parts in things, but this was a, a, a good way to highlight his silliness. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of that dancing he does in the in the dance-off oh. scene, but that seems <laughs> that so fun. That scene... That is fantastic. That guy who comes in. The zoot suit with guy. His cane, the zoot suit and the cane. Yeah, yeah and so it, these aliens, they're incredible mimics. So when he's watching this guy dance, he's like, bet you can't do this. And he like does it. And then some, it's like, oh, like yeah. At, at almost exactly the same moment. Right. Yeah, the there are certain times when they're yeah. doing the same dance at the same exact time. And it's just like, it's just fun. Like, that nightclub, whatever that nightclub is, I mean, clearly it's just, you know, the, the exterior is the Griffith Observatory in L.A. And, you yeah. know, with like neon lights on it and stuff, um, which must have been really f- fun to shoot, even just the exterior of that. Because changing the appearance of the Griffith Observatory to make it look like an 80s nightclub is wild. But what a fun club. Uh Yeah. I'm not a I'm not the the club going type, but no. I dare say I would uh you would have a good time. I I don't know. I would think I that looks like a fun club to go to. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm like I still wouldn't go for it, but it, they have a great time. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy that they're there doing their thing, and it's it's yeah. a lot of fun and a staple of uh especially this era of Jeff Goldblum movies. He's got to find a way to get in there and get on that piano. Tickle those ivories. Well, they set it up great with the nutty professor Mm -hmm. scene where so that and and that he's a mimic. So naturally he busts out the uh, the Jerry Lewis nutty professor moves. And but of course, we know 
we, the educated viewer, knows that that is Jeff Goldblum tickling those ivories. Right. And he also does it in The Fly. He just like, you know, in the very beginning takes Veronica back to his home, immediately just sits down at the... He's a scientist. He's got a piano. All right. Sits down and starts like playing some amazing music on the piano. So Jeff Goldblum just flexing. Well, I heard, spoiler alert, in the new Jurassic World movie, that's actually kind of how he calms the dinosaurs, is he just kind of seduces them with his his smooth sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it. And, you know, it's- He does look super- He does- He is, like, super cool, though, when he's playing the piano. Oh, my God. Well, of course, because he's mimicking- uh, I can only think of the name from the- the Buddy Love. (laughs) Buddy Love, yeah. Was that the name that was in the original Nighty Professor? I don't even think so. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure. So, the the Buddy Love type. I'm thinking of the Eddie Murphy Nighty Professor. So, anyway, uh, the three of them cast as these aliens is great. I feel like they all play their roles exactly as they should have- uh, Jim Carrey, as we know, is exactly the kind of person who you want to be making oh. crazy faces, doing wild impressions, uh, going with the flow, especially this early in his career where, you know, everything is on limits. Yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah, the the scene where he's like trying to eat the fish off the floor in, oh in the God. house. Um, yeah. He, does, so- he mimics uh, James Dean with the, you're tearing me apart. Right, yeah, it's, oh, it's Griffith. Speaking of the Griffith Observatory, yeah. um, but and then coming back to Gina Davis and that the run that she was on in those yeah. years. So she goes, she goes from you know be, like Fletch and Tootsie right. things like that, and Transylvania Six Five Thousand, The Fly, and then she starts shooting this. But somehow, in between that. We've got Beetlejuice and The yeah. Accidental Tourist both get released in 88. Right. And by the time this comes out, she's Academy Award winner, Gina Davis. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. She is so incredible. I, I've watched a few of her movies recently. Um, even before we decided to do this, I watched like A League of Their Own. And I don't know. It's just like she really was great at... You know, she was so perfectly cast in in so many of these roles. And it, it makes me happy that she did do things like Transylvania 65000, which, of course, you know, you're early in your career. It's a little different. But then Earth Girls Are Easy. I feel like especially coming off of The Fly, it's just like, I just want to have fun for a bit, please. Yeah. <laughs> this Beetlejuice. Yeah. Like, she's great in Beetlejuice. She's great, Everyone's great in, Beetlejuice. in Beetlejuice. Come on, who are yeah. we kidding? Uh, so yeah, she's, I mean, I'm a big Gina Day. I thought like Thelma and Louise was just like, she's amazing in that and long kiss goodnight, which we've talked about, which by the way, when she goes blonde, I don't know about you, but I was like, Mm. she's Charlie Baltimore now. Charlie Baltimore. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene early on where Candy convinces her to go blonde and in order to, uh, seduce her, fiance who hasn't slept with her in two weeks as we learn he's cheating on her but uh that what we also learn by that and by the time when she is like disguised as a doctor or a nurse is that her fiance she like she has a real like clark kent situation going on where like the glasses are on and he doesn't recognize her it's like as soon as she's like slightly disguised (laughs) he has no idea who she is (laughs) <laughs> well, he's so focused on that, like, he's going to what be on the cover of Time magazine and because yeah. he's discovering that they're aliens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not that they could just be like guys with two hearts. I don't know. Mutation to some sort. Who knows? But he just jumps to aliens. <laughs> like, that's the obvious answer. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably in the medical gu- guidebook. He is a trained doctor, by the yeah. way. It's like, if you don't know what's going on, they're probably aliens. (laughs) When in doubt, they're aliens. Yeah. uh, It's just so much fun. I I know that we can just kind of go scene by scene and talk about how great each part is, but... Yeah. You know. So... Okay, so then uh, where are we we going with this? What, What do we do with Earth Girls Are Easy? So, my idea... 
is definitely just to remake it. But I feel like if it's done by the right people with the right actors in it, then it's going to be an homage as well as a reimagining of it. The problem is we don't have the 80s valley outlook anymore. So that part might have to be adapted or it would have to be a period piece or something. I don't know. But I feel like to honor the legacy, Julian Temple's daughter, Juno Temple, should play the Valerie role. I love Juno Temple. She's great. Uh, A lot of people might recognize her, especially now from Ted Lasso. Uh, She's been in a lot of really fun. She was in The Dark Knight Rises. She was in a movie with Catherine Hahn called Afternoon Delight. Catherine Hahn, who's having a really big moment lately, (laughs) thanks to um, WandaVision. And yeah, Juno Temple, I feel like, would be perfect in that type of role. And in terms of the aliens, I want... Lil Nas X, the rapper, or musician, (laughs) I guess you can say, I Uh think that he is fantastic. He's super charismatic. He's super funny. And this is the kind of role that is great for like somebody whose personality is like that, but maybe necessarily, not necessarily is like an actor actor, but a good way to like get into it is playing an alien who's like, there are no rules and you just be ridiculous. And Lil Nas X is awesome at that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Flula Borg, Dan. Do you know Flula Borg? I am not. Flula Borg is a... I got my Flula Borg shot. Oh, Flula Borg is a very funny comedian and comedic actor who's very physical and silly. He's in the new Suicide Squad movie. He's He was also in like Pitch Perfect 3. Um, I believe he's of Eastern European descent. I'm not exactly sure where. Oh, y- uh, yeah. He toured I, with I, Conan. Like he's very, very funny and very silly. Uh, if you follow any of his social media channels, you'll see why I think he'd be a great alien in the Earth Girls Are Easy verse. And for the uh, the Mac character, I would go with Harry Styles. I feel like he's got like he's got acting chops, as we know from movies like Dunkirk and stuff like that. But he's also mm-hmm. um, comfortable in his own skin and like uh, a cool guy, very very talented, and could also really lend himself to performing musical numbers, which uh, I would love to be written by the comedy duo Garfunkel and Oates. And I would have um, the director, I would have this be directed by Josh Greenbaum, who did Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, because I feel like that's the tone we want. Oh, yes. Uh, And as we know, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar is in a way a musical. So, you know, it's like, you know, he's got the, the chops for that. And for the nosy neighbor with the beehive, Maria Bamford. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, I see it. I see that's it. what I that's what I've got. All right. So I was similarly thinking about the whole like this is very much of the 80s. What do you do? How do you put it in the 80s without just trying to like copy it? And right. Uh, um right, which I think like a lot like your ideas um are avoid that and I hope. um yeah. So I was thinking, I was like, I would love to see this as like an 80s style sitcom. Like, and I'm going to reference something like a Out of This World, yeah. if you remember Out of This World, mm-hmm. um, about Evie, whose uh, who, who's father, mother is human, father is alien. Right. And she can stop time. So. Uh, I I was thinking, but I was like really super satirical, kind of like like some of what they do on WandaVision. Um, I think Josh uh, Greenberg, Josh Greenberg, did you say? Josh Greenbaum. Uh, Josh, Josh Greenbaum, I apologize. So Josh Greenbaum, um, I actually think would be a great choice. I was thinking like I was thinking that like the alumni of the state would be really <laughs> good yeah. to work on this and i was like i was thinking about carrie kenny as the the next door neighbor oh and i forgot my woody casting oh yeah john gabris john gabris as woody yes absolutely <laughs> past yes. ruined childhood's guest john gabris 
Absolutely. Yeah, I'm totally down with that. Um, I was so I was thinking about like if you had um, if you had some some of the state alumni or like this is something uh, I think like David Wayne's style could. I don't know mm-hmm. if his style is a little more understated than I think what, what yeah. you need for this. Yeah. So, but that's, that's kind of who I, I was thinking. And I was like, put like, make this a, uh, an eighties style sitcom, just yeah. really turn up the volume on the satire. Well, so what David Wayne is really good at is mocking tropes and like doing it in a way that celebrates them while, pointing out how ridiculous a lot of tropes are. Yeah, I guess, I, and I was thinking mainly about Wet Hot American Summer and the, you know, subsequent series on right. on Netflix. I was thinking a lot about that. I do think that, um, I, I, I do think that, like, kind of bringing in some newer voices is a mm-hmm. great idea. And I didn't really have any other casting ideas. I was like, is, I was like, Ken Marino might be too old to play Ted. Uh, but yeah. I was like, wouldn't it? But I, it's so I was thinking more of the setup and it's like, what if they decide to stay on earth? Mac moves in with Valerie, uh, Debo and Wick and Whiplock, um, get Zeebo, their own Zebo. Sorry. I was <laughs> Zebo and Whiplock get their own, uh, get like their own apartment and so that there you've got like your two places, you've got like your alien bachelor pad, plus you're like, huh, we're a new couple figuring things out with the nosy neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, the Julie Brown character, uh, Candy, is a great kind of like love interest for 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 Whiplock or mm-hmm. Zebo, And um, I think would... It, like the like Woody is uh, of co- of course characters named Woody always make for great supporting characters in oh, sitcoms, yeah. um, but I I think like you've got the rights and what if it's like Ted like the ongoing story like each episode has its different like situation it's very eighties sitcommy and the ongoing thing is Ted is t- maybe Ted and the neighbor are are going to get into cahoots and try to prove because Ted's trying to prove right. that they're that they're aliens because of course. The pilot in in the pilot that would be where he examines them and hears their heartbeats. Yeah, I think that it will be really fun, and this will be something good for like you know Peacock or something like that, where yeah, you know you'd have a like an '80s sitcom made now. Like use the cameras that they used in the '80s, like light things using the lights they would have used in the '80s. Um, don't make everything look so like neat and polished and tidy and everything like. You know, give it kind of that 80s sheen and just play it straight without like too many like winks of like, it's the 80s, you know, like, right. Just like make no one. new Coke jokes. Like, right. just it, it's just it is set in the 80s so that you have these stereotypes or that you have these characters. They that is the world in which they exist. Yeah. So it's not we're not tailoring like this is about the characters it's about the situations and about the you know the the wacky like oh they're really aliens which i know like also resident alien i think is is i I haven't watched it yet yeah with alan tudyk i haven't seen it yet either but he's great but i feel but that that doesn't that seems like a really different like it's got a really different vibe to it whereas i feel like this and you can you'd have a musical number each episode bloom of this Uh, yeah, no. Gina Davis was replaced by Cindy Lauper, uh, yeah. um, or Julie Brown <laughs> replaced by Cindy Lauper. Well, oh yeah, just yeah. because they're uh, in, yeah, MTV. So, yeah. I yeah, and I like have a musical, uh, have a song each episode, and have you know, have well, Garfunkel then, and Oates have get different people. You know, to then do we're the kind songs. of getting into like crazy, my crazy ex girlfriend, yeah, territory, or is it just crazy well, ex girlfriend? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yes, but in the, like that plays it. I think I don't want to say more seriously because I it, it right, doesn't, but, but you know, there it incorporates funny musical numbers and yeah, Rachel Bloom is that who that is? Yeah, who does that one? She's yeah, terrific. So get yeah. her involved. 
Yeah, get her involved with this. I mean, seriously, I don't know. I'm just the idea guy here. I'm not putting any <laughs> names on the project yet. Yeah. I'm not, I don't make the deals. I just make them reels. Oh my God. So one thing that actually would be really fun is- I don't even know what that meant. Yeah, I don't know what that meant either. <laughs> one thing that would be really fun, and I don't know how possible any of this would be because I don't know the nature of their relationship, but if there was some sort of sequel about- you know, Valerie and Mac now, all of these years later. Um, what's that like? What What's life like? I forget the name of their home planet, but like maybe they're there and she's adapting. She's adapted to the culture. It's over, you know, 30 years ago, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. It could, sounds like the like last Starfighter. Uh, oh, where- yeah. Where they they return. So and before so before we leave this, we should note that there was a musical musical stage right. musical adaptation, and it uh, there were some like per, some like semi quasi performances, some workshop performances of it, and uh, Julie Brown as in two thousand one. That was when this uh, um, they were they were starting to kind of get it up on its feet. That was when you had uh, so Julie Brown played Candy, Kristen Chenoweth played Valerie, okay, um, Mark Kudish uh, played Ted, and Hunter Foster played Mac. Um, yeah, I mean, like they just did like stagings to find investors for the show. Got it. And it it featured a lot of 80s songs there's actually some um there are some clips on on youtube and uh however like when they started staging this it was like right after 911 and mm. that was i yeah i mean i don't know if that was like the only factor involved but you know it certainly it just was was not the right time right. but the so the songs were all 80s songs uh including some songs that are heard in in the movie like the B52's uh Cosmic Thing oh yeah uh, from their album Cosmic Thing but also uh the B52's song Rome which mm. uh could be my favorite B52 song it's a great song uh, is in that oh yeah so good uh so it was in there there uh the true colors speaking of Cindy Lauper um atomic there are a couple of blondie Ooh. songs in here atomic heart of glass uh plus the Julie Brown the Julie Brown originals brand new girl I like him big and stupid because I'm a blonde right um oh should have known better Ted sings should have known better oh by my boy Richard Marks yeah. So and, yeah, yeah. Uh, one one thing that we didn't really mention is, um, or, or I don't know if you really picked up on this so much, but you know, Julie Brown. It seems like she's really lampooning people like Madonna at the time, and it seems like she's got it in for Madonna. There's a moment where uh, um, Valerie throws a Madonna record, which is presumably Ted's, like into a fire, and. It's, it's the like, Who's That Girl soundtrack, by the way. It was way. the Who's That Girl soundtrack. And it's like, I wonder if that came up on the set of The League of Their Own. Like, uh, excuse me, by the way, what the hell was that about? <laughs> Wait, was Julie Brown in A League of Their Own? No, but Madonna was. No. Oh, oh, with Gina Davis. With Gina Davis. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, well. Hmm. Oh, well. Good hmm. point. <laughs> hmm. so, yeah i don't know oh well hmm, good point yeah yeah that's, no oh, it's wait just... so hold on a second hold the phone um oh it was, oh julie brown had her own sorry i thought for a moment that there was a tv adaptation of earth girls are easy mm. but it was real it was just the julie brown show the julie show got it that that she did so um yeah so she's got she got her start from Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin kind of right. I heard about so. that. Saw her yeah. on the stand-up scene or something like that. And I know that she yeah. also uh, had some of her stuff played by like Doctor Demento. Uh huh. So mm-hmm. yeah. What a what yeah, a cool so. era of like I don't know a the burgeoning comedy music scene. You know, it's like yeah, Tr- Tracy Ullman in the 80s too. Tracy uh, Ullman. Yeah, you really had some, like a lot of, some of that. people really defining what that was going to look like moving into the future. I mean, especially Weird Al, but 
Yeah. I mean, how many people have really picked up on that? Like in, in the same way that they, that they have, like, Mm. I think of comedy musicians. I think of someone like, you know, Richard Cheese, who just does speaking about Barb and star. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who does, you know, comedic versions of of songs. Um, uh, the Dan band who kind of do the, do the same. They do, you know, songs originally sung by women and they, they do them. So profanities, you know know them, you know them from, uh, from old school. Right. Yeah. I think a a lot of Todd Phillips movies, I think they might've done stuff like the hangover, yeah, yeah, they were yeah. definitely in 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 one of those. So anyway, um, yeah, so Earth Girls are easy. I had a good time revisiting this one. Yeah, uh, it's it's great fun. I uh, as soon as we decided to do it, I was like, great. That means I get to watch it. I'm very excited about that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not a movie that like. It doesn't like play like a movie really like the stakes are it's like the stakes aren't as important you know like Ted is kind of just like why the only reason why you know she is even like in the story debating about like wanting to be with him or not I feel like is mostly just to get him back in the scenes and to create more of a of a threat because like you know, she's this character who just thinks that the goal is to, like, you know, marry a doctor and just live your life in, in the valley and sit by a pool. And it's like she's clearly not that kind of person and she's being tested by, t- tested in that by these aliens, by Mac, who, you know, shows her that there's, you know, another, there's more to life than than that. There's a whole galaxy to be explored. So... I don't know. Literally. It, it's it's fun. It's just kind of fun. And like because Ted is such an such an insane character and is played perfectly, I mm. I don't know. It it just makes it work in a way that like even when he does come back, you're just like, oh God, this guy, what's he gonna get into now? It's that type of situation. Exactly. Um, very sitcom y. Very sitcom y. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. All right. So, John, any 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 final words on Earth Girls Are Easy before I unveil our next film of choice? I don't have anything else to say about Earth Girls, Earth Girls Are Easy, but I neglected to mention how much I appreciate Caesar Caesar Gracia coming on the yes. last episode to talk Zorro with you. Um, that was a a late edit in uh, working things out timing wise is difficult between uh, the Pacific Northwest and where he is in Miami. So I'm glad that that worked out. And uh, he's a it, he's a toddler dad too. So is he? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. I feel like what he said was so awesome to just hear his perspective, somebody who really grew up with the, like the Disney Zorro series. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, he mentioned some of the same people and some of the same things that we had talked about later after that segment in the episode, but we hadn't recorded that yet. So, you know, talking about like, I think Diego Luna came up and, um, yeah. And talking about like a Batman Beginsy type of, you know. Oh, I love I love that idea. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's what came up. That's what Robert Rodriguez's idea was to do. Um, at a certain yeah. point, that was kind of like shot down. So, well, also his story, the story he shared about Guy Williams and the guy who played Sergeant Garcia, uh, right? Like. Uh, touring in South That's America. That's fascinating. And I love the idea that came up about, you know, having that story, having a movie about that story. And I thought that that was, that was really smart. And um, yeah, would be, I'm sure it would be a lot of fun. So anyway, it was a blast. I, I really appreciate Caesar coming on and I'm glad that that worked out. Absolutely. As am I. And I uh, hope we can make it happen again. Yeah. So, so uh, Dan, why don't, yeah, let's, let's talk about the next episode. 
Yeah, so next episode is one of uh, a comedy that has become a classic. I, I think is is considered a classic and just ultimate, like so rewatchable. It's 1992's My Cousin Vinny, yeah. starring Joe Pesci and Academy Award winner Marissa Tomei. Controversially, uh, Fred Gwynn. Yeah, controversially, but I gotta we'll tell get you, into it. it. We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it, but yeah. So I'm 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 excited to talk about that. Another one that I saw at the Westfield Rialto. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan, as Memories. you as you speed away in a I don't know what you'd even call it retro crazy looking Pee Wee's Playhouse spaceship. I bid you a good journey. Good journey.